How you doing today? Are you ready for the word? I got a couple of stats and then we'll get into the word. In 2021, the 11th leading cause of death in the United States was suicide. In 2021, 48,183 Americans died by suicide. In 2021, 1.7 million people attempted suicide. The per capita rate is 14 people per 100,000 are committing suicide. The rate of suicide is highest in middle-aged white men. In 2021, men died four times more than women because of suicide. On an average, there are 132 suicides per day. White males accounted for almost 70% of suicides in 2021. Some astounding statistics here for us. A recent survey said that 94% of the people that were surveyed believe that suicide can be prevented. What brings me here to you today to talk about this is I recently lost a friend. I've known him for over 30-something years. Never had any signs that he would commit suicide. He had a family. He was a God lover. Everybody knew him, knew that he was a God lover. He had twin boys, and he had an older son. He had a beautiful wife. There was a picture taken of this man just two weeks before he decided that he would take his life. In that picture was colleagues from work. Everybody in that picture was smiling, and everything looked like it was all together in that picture. The circumstances of his life ending was revealed that he had taken his life. I had a friend go to the service. They told me about how somber it was and how dramatic it was. And finally, she found out that, that he had taken his life. No signs of this. Nothing had told people that he was going to have a problem or that he was, had any issues. It was his inward life. These recent headlines, these statistics that I've read you today are reminders of that we need to look at our emotional and our mental health and be conscientious of that. Today, I'm going to bring you some hopefully things that help you from a biblical perspective of how, how to deal with your mental and emotional health. I'll be reading from 1 Kings 19 if you'd like to turn with me. As we study scripture, there are a number of our spiritual heroes that we know in scripture that have their own emotional and mental challenges in life. One of which is Elijah, which we'll be reading about shortly. Elijah, for just a moment in time, was so depressed that he wanted to take his own life, so discouraged that he didn't want to live any longer. And as we examine the patterns of his life, we can see that Elijah made some mistakes to make his life a little more difficult. We learn from his mistakes and we look at what Elijah did wrong. 
Today, I want us to look at what God did right to restore Elijah back to a sense of wholeness. I want us to see how God addresses the emotional and the mental unhealthiness in Elijah's life and how he begins the process of restoring Elijah back to wholeness. There are a lot of things that when it relates to mental and, and emotional health that are totally out of your control. We can't control our biology. We can't control our genetics. But there are some things in life to which we can control. There are things in our life that instead of surrendering to the peace and the things that we can't control, let's try controlling some things that we are really able to do so. Let me just set the tone today by reminding you of something that Jesus told us. Jesus said the thief comes to only to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Listen to that. I have come that you may have life to the full. Don't miss about what he's saying there. God isn't in your life to help you cope with life. If you're using your faith as a coping mechanism or God is only a crutch to get by and to get through hard times, you've totally missed what God's intent for our lives are. God didn't get involved in your life to help you get by. He's involved in your life because he wants to lead you to an abundant life. He wants you to live a life to the full and he wants to restore you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually to the wholeness like he does for Elijah. So before we read, I'm reminded about what happened in chapter 18. Do you remember what happened, what Elijah did? Probably the, the two greatest miracles in the Old Testament. Elijah calls fire down onto an altar that was soaked with water. That fire consumes that altar. It consumes, the word says, it consumed the stones around the altar. What a powerful miracle that was. And then shortly after that, he defeats 850 pagan prophets. The second miracle that happens within that same chapter is that Elijah prays to God about ending a three-year doubt, a drought. Three years, the rain comes. It's, it's obvious that heaven knows who Elijah is in this moment in time. It's obvious that Elijah has influence with God at this moment in time. And yet on the heels of those two great miracles, we read in the next chapter that Elijah isn't doing so well. One lady, a queen, sends him into a tailspin about just something that she says to him, a little note that she sends to him. And he sits under a shade tree and he's in such a state of depression that he wants to die. So let's begin in verse four of 1 Kings 19. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under, under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough. Have you had enough? Have you been in a point in your life where you've had enough of something? Have you come to your end on something? That's where Elijah's at. He's sitting here underneath the tree and says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. 
Then in verse five, then he laid down and slept under a broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on a hot stone and jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your intent for us to have abundant life. Lord, if we would only just follow your rules in the way you want us to do things, you heed and you see what we need to do. Lord, open this word up for us today. May our hearts be ministered to by what you have taught Elijah in this word. Lord, we call all of these things done in your mighty, most precious name. Amen. Here's what's interesting that the angel of the Lord didn't come to Elijah and first attend to Elijah's spiritual need. No, he came and he attended to Elijah's physical need first. That was the first step in Elijah's restoration to wholeness. He had to take some initiative and begin the journey to physical recovery. There are a lot of scriptures that point us back to this physical health or unhealth and the way it contributes to our mental and our emotional makeup. There are a lot of fluid and intangible things when it comes to mental and emotional health. But this one thing is concrete. For the most part, for a certain degree, it's within our, our control and it's going to take us some making up our minds that we can recover physically, physically. So the first point in today's message is stay healthy. When, when doctors are dealing with patients who need an organ transplant, one of the first things that they tell that patient is that you need to be physically healthy enough to receive this organ physically healthy enough to receive something that is gonna make you better. Yes, physically they're, they're hurting because of a heart, a liver, a lung, something's wrong with them, but you gotta be physically healthy enough or you're gonna sabotage what we're about to do to you. You see, for someone to receive an organ that has been donated, somebody else has to die. Somebody else has to donate that organ. And doctors, they don't want to risk that one organ on you who you're not healthy enough to receive that organ. The stakes are high. The doctors know that they need to take a risk on somebody that's healthy enough to receive that organ. In this age of anxiety that we live in today, one thing is true in many of areas of our lives. We're struggling, all of us are struggling to some degree with stress, with anxiety, with depression and feeling overwhelmed and feeling spent and burned out. A lot of us have tried multiple counselors. We've gotten all the books on self-help. We've seen people and asked for help from friends and family. 
We've come to these altars and being prayed for. We've listened to sermons from this pulpit. We've listened online at great speakers and speak many things about how we need to help take care of ourselves. But one of the reasons none of those solutions work in our lives is that we're not healthy enough physically to receive the help that we need. Many of us are waiting on a silver bullet. We're waiting on the one thing that's supposed to come down the pipe to fix everything. The right counselor, the right book, the right sermon, the right altar call, the right person to give us the right advice, the right person to pray for us. It's supposed to do undo maybe five or 10 or 15 or 20 years of mental and physical unhealthiness. While we wait, we do everything to change the habits or the patterns in our lives that we can control. What are some things that we can control in our lives? We need to note this, that before the angel of the Lord led Elijah into a place of spiritual and mental, emotional health, Elijah had to initiate the first step. What did he have to do? He had to have some physical recovery. We see that, I don't know about you, but I'm really liking this prescription. Just like this bread and this water, I like to eat. <laughs> Many of you know me, I, 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 I very rarely miss a meal. And sometimes I have meals between meals. I like to eat. So I'm liking what this angel of the Lord come to him with a prescription of, you know what, you need to eat something and then you need to go take a nap. And then you know what, after you get with, done with that nap, you need to get up and eat some more. I mean, this is a good message today for us. Let's eat some bread and drink some water. Let's fill physically with what we need, some, some rest, some relaxation. The first step in the healing process of us is simply slowing down. We need to slow down. I'm guilty of this, and I know many of you have told me, you need to slow down, Pastor Dave. You need to slow down, take control of what we can control we need to be better managers of our time, better managers of our physical health, and establishing some boundaries in our lives. It's okay to say no every now and then. Amen? Here's a piece of God's wisdom from Ecclesiastes that tells us, better to have one handful of quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing after the wind. A lot of us are living what can only be described as two handful lives. We're living to our limits and we're staying worried and tired and stressed out and exhausted because simply we have chosen to live the life that we're living. We're letting culture determine what we wear. We're letting culture determine the house that we live in. We're letting culture determine what kind of car we drive. And we're living beyond our means and creating unnecessary stress within our lives. Greg McCowan said these words, if we don't prioritize our life, somebody else will. I like what the psalmist says. He says, our, number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should, the psalmist says. If you wanna get your life back, you need to start ordering your days, church. God instituted the Sabbath. Just like here today, you've come here on the Sabbath, a day of resting, a day of hearing the word, a day of worshiping. God is our creator. 
And he knew exactly what we needed. We need to rest a whole day of rest, to calibrate, to prioritize our lives. I believe the word is telling us today a divine prescription for us is that we need to go home, get something to eat, and take a nap. Come on. Don't you want some of this bread? Thank you, Lori, for making this bread. It is perfect. It is real, too. It looks plastic, but it's real. Go home, get something to eat, and take a nap. And then, you know what? The angel of the Lord said, go ahead and take another nap. And then get up and get something else to eat. That's, that's a good message right there for us. Slow down, take a nap, get something to eat. On a little more serious note, physical recovery is the first step that we need to take in our journey towards healing our lives, our inner lives. But our second setup is a God encounter. Elijah's recovery, a God encounter. Let me explain what I'm talking about. As we read here in verse nine, there Elijah is, he's coming to a cave. And there he hears from the Lord and, and the Lord asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Have you ever asked yourself that? What's my purpose in life? Maybe you cry out to God, is, am I doing really what I'm supposed to be doing in this moment in time? We've all said that to ourselves, maybe in a private moment. Do I have that sense of purpose that God really wants? Let me just change your thought about that for a minute. Maybe, maybe God is speaking to you at that moment and saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? The Lord speaks to him in verse 15. I'm, I'm sorry, in my 15 plus years of ministry, that's probably one of the things I've been asked most. Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave, how do I position my heart to where I can hear what God wants for me in my life? Pastor Dave, what? What purpose do I need to fulfill here at Christ's legacy? How do I get involved in something bigger and greater than, than I am? Amy brought us today the whiz kids. That's, that's one of many things you can do around here. Let's read this a little bit more in verse 10. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. Elijah's, he's complaining a little bit right here. He's complaining. The people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. Everybody else is messing up, God. <laughs> Tore down your altars. They killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left. Woe is me, poor old me. Here's Elijah telling everybody that he has worked harder. Nobody has sacrificed more than he has. And nobody has shown up more than, than Elijah has. And I'm the only good guy left, he says. In verse 11, God says to him, go out and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him, and Elijah stood there and the Lord passed by. This is Elijah's answer. You gotta get in the presence of God. Get in the presence of God. Here's the question we ought to ask ourselves today. How do I cultivate this presence of God in our lives? Listen, it's not an oversimplification of the problem. 
I truly believe the greatest prescription for the challenges of our inner lives is a very real and a very genuine encounter with God Almighty. I wanna see a manifestation of his presence in my innermost prayer life of my life. I'm not talking about religious moments. You've come here today in a religious moment. This is what we do as a culture, come to church on Sundays. And yes, you can have a God moment and a God experience here. But I believe that Elijah is standing on a mountain where it's just him and the Lord is about to pass by. I'm not talking about head knowledge. While it is good and you need to know scripture, I'm not just talking about these religious services that we're in. I'm talking about a God moment, a real encounter, an undeniable moment in our lives where we're in the presence of God of the universe and you feel his embrace. I believe that when the psalmist wrote these words in Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd to feed me, to guide me, to shield me. That is my shepherd. I shall not want. He lets me lie down in the green pastures and he leads me beside still. And what kind of waters? Quiet waters. He refreshes and he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the sunless valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Your anxiety, your depression, your burned out, those are all fears, church. When we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that is the Lord coming around and surrounding us and we're not gonna fear any evil. You are with me, your rod to protect me. Your staff is there to guide me. They comfort me, they console me. And then what does he do? He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies and you have anointed and refreshed my head with oil. That is the God you serve. My cup overflows and surely, surely church, surely church, goodness and mercy and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of your lives and I shall dwell forever throughout all your days in the house and in the presence of the Lord. This is where the deep work happens in Elijah's life. This is how it happens. In verse 11, a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. So great of a mighty windstorm that the stones began to loose and fall out of the mountain. But what does it say? The Lord was not in the wind. An earthquake came, a mighty earthquake came, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, an all-consuming fire came. Church, we seek the dynamic things in life. We're looking for the greatest counselor. We're looking for the greatest book. We're looking for the greatest message in the sermon. But church, God's not in any of those things at times. He comes in the most intimate times with you. And just like it says in verse 12, and after the fire, after the windstorm, and after the earthquake, a sound of a gentle whisper. That's when God shows up. 
in the presence of God to our inner lives with oxygen to our souls. That's what he meant for us in the land of Eden. In the land of Eden, Adam and Eve breathed God's presence in the cool of the day. That's when it happened for them. That's what is gonna happen for us in the future. When he comes back, that's what it's gonna be like. We're gonna be with him in the presence of God always. It is oxygen to our soul. We were created to thrive in his presence. And when we are in it, his presence heals us. The presence heals us in the whisper. It's in the quiet time. It's in the intimate. It's in the soft. It's in the sacred. It's in the stillness. And the quiet of the word comes in those moments. That's when your soul is revived. The wisdom of God is telling us here that we ought to settle our spirit. The Psalms, God says, be still and know that I am God. Quiet your soul, then you will know that he is God. You experience him, you hear him, you come in the simplicity of his healing presence. We know him by quieting our own soul. There's no better way to do that than in private times of worship. Private times of worship. Yes, we worship corporately, and there's an experience for that. And we are revived in that corporate worship, just like we went through a moment ago. But it's in the intimate times of worship. It's in that private time. When my own life is feel like it's coming apart at the seams, I realize, I know that I have not been in the times of quiet worship with God. I know that when my life feels like it's coming apart at the seams and I get into that intimate time of worship, never once has all of my problems been solved when I step out of that quiet time of worship. But let me tell you this, I have come out of those times of intimate worship and I have a supernatural peace. That is what we're needing is peace within our soul, a real sense that we are not alone we feel God's hand upon our lives in that time of inner worship, the power of his embrace. I think John 4 tells us that God is searching the earth for worshipers. If you're in a place having a difficult time and you're searching to find God and you can't find God in anything that you're doing, trust me, trust me, I promise you this, that in your quiet time of worship, your soul will find God Almighty. This is exactly what scripture says. In the Psalms, Psalm 73, we find the psalmist complaining for 16 verses. He's complaining to God about all of his problems. For 16 verses, over and over again, he's complaining. You been there? Have you been there? Have you been in a moment where you're complaining about every little thing in your life? I like what happens in Psalm 73. He gets done of 16 verses of complaining until we get to 17. And he says these words, all of this, all of these things that I've been complaining about have troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. The sanctuary of God is wherever you quiet your soul enough to worship him, where you quiet your soul enough to meet God. It's not in this building. This is just brick and mortar. 
It's wherever you make your quiet place, your secret place. We have to recover physically and we have to have a God encounter. But what happens next in Elijah's life in verse 13? When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of that cave. Some say he covered his face in reverence and others say that he covered his face out of shame, out of fear because his face is where your identity is. That's who people know you are is by your face, but he covered his face. It's not in this building. It's not in this place, but it's a place where he has covered himself in a confidence and he knows that he needs full of shame and full of fear and that he has an identity crisis. So when we realize that it's in this presence of God that he hid his face, then a voice says to him, why are you here, Elijah? He replied again, I'm not reading the verse that I read earlier. This is a total different verse. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. He keeps repeating the same thing over and over again. We've all been there. We've all rehearsed scenarios in our mind. We're trying to solve the solution without God there. Lord, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken the covenant with you and they've tore down the altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. This is where it turns, church. Notice the dialogue here. It's the same from broken from earlier. It's the same old saying, poor old me, I'm so down, I'm so bad. They're coming after me. He's paralyzed by fear in this moment in time. A threat from Jezebel has sent him into a tailspin. In our modern day age, this might be a Facebook post against you. This might be a coworker who's saying something about you, spreading rumors about you at your work. This may be a neighbor saying some bad things about you. This is what Elijah needed. And I believe this is what we need today to rediscover our identity as a child of God. Church, I'm glad you're here today. I believe this message is for you today. I believe you came here on a divine assignment today to hear the word today. This is a message for you today. You're here today for a reason. I speak truth over you today. I speak truth over you today. Here is what the word says today. It says that you are forgiven. Church claim that forgiveness. It says in his word today that you are healed by his stripes. Today it says that you are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. It says that your life has purpose. Church, it says that you can make a difference in life. It says that you are the head, not the tail. You are first and not the last. You are an heir to God. You are a child of the Most High King. That's who you are. Eleanor Roosevelt said these words, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Church, are you gonna believe the words that you're whispering to yourself 
in the private time where you're whispering the selves of self-doubt, you're full of anxiety, you're, so, you're full of doubt, you're full of worry, or are you simply going to receive what the Lord has spoken over you today? You're simply going to have to make up your mind to believe what God says about you and not believe the chatter that comes out of everybody else's mouth or everybody else's keyboard. Here's what we've learned so far. Sometimes you need a physical recovery. No solution is going to, to work for you unless you're getting enough sleep. So go home and take a nap. If you're not eating right, if you're living beyond your limits, slow down. You need to learn the art of worship. Step into a God encounter because in his presence is oxygen to your spirit. You have to believe the truth about your identity as a child of God. No weapon formed against you shall proper. That's heaven's declaration over your life today. As you read on in the passage, you'll notice that the Lord answer, never answered a single complaint about Elijah. So let me just tell you, quit complaining to God. He's not going to answer those complaints. It simply says, after all of those complaints, the Lord said, go back to where you came from. Don't miss what God is saying right here. It appears to be insignificant, but let me just tell you, it is very significant because for Elijah to go back to where he came from, he had to go through Beersheba. Beersheba is known as the place of the oath for Elijah. It's where Elijah said, I'm gonna commit to you today, to Lord, to be that prophet that you have asked me to be today. It's the place where Elijah originally surrendered his heart to God. He said, I'm going to answer that call. I'm going to give you my life no matter what. I'm going to be the prophet. I'm going to be your servant. And I don't belong to me anymore. I belong to you. Serving you is the single greatest purpose of my life today, God. That's what happened at Beersheba. The reason God said, go back the way you came is because he knew Elijah had lost his purpose. God wanted Elijah to go back to Beersheba and rediscover that purpose in his life. So verse 15, then the Lord told him, go back the way you came and travel the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, I want you to anoint this guy as king. And then I want you to anoint this guy as king. And then go find Elisha. Go find Elisha because Elisha is going to replace you as my prophet. This is what God is saying to you today. If you've identified with what I'm saying about doubt and worry and anxiety and all of these things, let me just remind you, maybe you've lost your purpose in life. Go back to the place where you first surrendered your heart to God. Re-up your commitment and get back to work. That's what he's telling Elijah to do. Don't let a Jezebel determine the narrative of your life. Pay attention to what God is doing right here in Elijah's life. God moved on Elijah on the road to recovery. He was telling Elijah to step into a new assignment. You're a man of God. Don't wallow in this, Elijah. Walk in your purpose. Walk in your calling. Move on to your next assignment. Secular psychology can back this up with a mountain of research. 
that when we move into a place where we have bigger and greater purposes in our lives, all of these doubt, all of these worries, all of this anxiety falls away. Church, this church has a rich heritage, a rich heritage. Over 25 years ago, this church voted to be in this location. They voted to build this building. Out of, out of a board meeting, it is heard, I heard that, that a board member said these words, why sit here till we die? Move on to a greater purpose, build a bigger building, have a greater vision for our life and our purpose as a church. I remember coming to this place when it was being built before I was ever employed at Christ's legacy. I stood in this altar area right here. They haven't even poured the floor yet. It was dirt all around. And I prayed, God, let me be in a place that is bigger with a bigger vision on my life because I know there is something greater and a greater purpose for me in this place. I believe my Beersheba happened here for me. And 15 years later, it is continuing to happen. Earlier this year, and Pastor John said this, I didn't even tell him I was gonna do this, but he said his vision for this church, that we find God, that we give hope, and that we do life together. What a great vision, what a big vision that is. But church, none of that's gonna work unless you get started. None of that's gonna work unless you give us some time to find God unless you give us some time to give hope, unless you give us some time to do life together. Church, we need your time. We need your time. We need you to sign up to do some things just like Elijah signed up for a new assignment in his day. We need to sign up for a new assignment, a bigger and greater vision today. Along with time, and I hate to even bring this up, but we need your finances. We need your finances. These lights, they don't just come on by themselves. We need you to drop something in the offering bucket consistently. Be faithful to your giving. Please be faithful to your giving. It takes your finances to do things like this building that we sit in and you have been faithful, it's completely paid for. Give yourself a hand today, church. Church, two weeks ago, I saw our pastor get a man a pair of shoes. He walked into this place in nothing but sock feet, and he put a pair of shoes on that man's feet. You did that, your finances did that. Church, our pastor, he has a, a great vision and he shared some things with me that I, I am excited, but I'm also scared about that vision because it's a big vision. But without your finances, we can't make that happen, church. We need your finances to give hope. That's what you did for that homeless man just a few weeks ago. You put shoes on that man's feet. Church, we need your finances to do life together as well. I know the price has been paid already for us to be here, but church, this ain't it. 
this ain't it. There's a bigger, there's a greater vision for this church. Don't let the worries of anxiety fill your heart because God has a greater vision for this, for this life, for this time, for this moment, and you're part of that. God has a place for you to be restored. God has a place for you to be renewed, and God has a place for you to be refilled. He goes on in verse 19, Elijah finds Elisha in a place, a cloak upon that Elisha that day. This was God giving Elijah a new assignment, and this is our assignment for today. Go find God, give some hope, and let's do life together. Keep doing what God has called you to do, church. If you're out of the will of the Lord, then go back to the place where you came from. Go back to your Beersheba. Find that renewed anointing on your life. Go back to the place where you first surrendered your heart. Find that secret place. Get in the presence of the Lord Almighty. That presence will heal you. Stand with me today. Our pastor's coming. I started this message off where the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Church, remember the enemy knows what he's doing. He has come to steal your spirit. He's come to steal your joy. And he has come to destroy the plan God has for you. Get in the presence of God. Get in that intimate time. Your spirit will be given new life. Your joy will be restored. And God has a plan for you. These altars are always open. They are always open. Come, Pastor, can you end our service today? And let's pray for this church, amen? Because we can do it together. How many of you know that that was a word from the Lord, amen? This morning, perhaps you're here and you're ready to respond. You've been fighting for it for some time now. Perhaps for some time you've been trying to find all the answers yourselves and this morning you feel convicted. You feel convicted because you know that you can't do it, but you've been holding out. You've been holding out and you didn't know why and you're not sure how, but you just know that this is the moment to give yourself back to the Lord. This is the moment. It's not by accident, it's not by chance. It's here and now. Would you bow your heads all across this place? This is a sacred moment. Heavenly Father, I pray God that you would begin to stir people's hearts, allow your Holy Spirit to go in and among us, touching people right where they are. Lord, prepare them for a response. In Jesus' name. With your head still bowed and eyes still closed, I simply want to ask you a question. You're here this morning, and it's time to surrender to the Lord, and you know it, and it's time. I want you to begin to raise your hand right now just so I know I can pray with you. If that's you, just simply raise your hand. Thank you, sir. I'm looking all around. Thank you. I see you. Yes. You want to surrender to the Lord in this moment. You can't do it on your own. You need the Lord's help. There's two. Looking all around, just one moment. 
so important. All right. I just want to, I want to take a moment and pray for these folks that have raised their hands. Heavenly Father, you see these two gentlemen, Lord, that have raised their hand, Lord, to signify, Lord Jesus, that they are surrendering, surrendering themselves to you. Holy Spirit, I ask, Lord, that you would partner with them, Lord, as a come alongside, that you would help them, enable them, strengthen them, Lord, so that they can live for you, Lord, they can walk in full redemption, Lord, and full relationship as your son, in Jesus' name. Now, if you're still here this morning, and you'd say, Pastor John, that word was for me. I've been living too fast. I've been struggling too much. My health is wrong, mentally, physically, and yes, even spiritually. And I just wanna get everything right before the Lord right now. I need the Lord to intervene on my life. I want you to raise your hand right where you are. That's you. I need the Lord to intervene right now. Look at that, hands going up all over this place. Would you just grab the person's hand standing on your right and your left? Hallelujah. We're gonna pray for you this morning. All across the room, everybody holding a hand. Everybody holding a hand. I'll tell you why. Pastor Dave read passages of scripture that said that the thief, Satan, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But if you continue on that message, Jesus told, tells us that I have come to give you life more abundant. One of the ways he does that is through a church body, through friendship and connection. You can't do life on your own. We're not designed for it. And we come together and we pray as a church family and we ask the Lord to move across our family. So this morning as you pray, don't pray for yourself, but pray for that person that you're holding hands with. Pray and ask the Lord to move on their life because they're your brother and you're, they're your sister. Not at the same time, you can only be a brother or a sister. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, Lord, for your word, for your message to our hearts and our lives. Lord, we pray, God, that we would be completely surrendered to you, Lord, and allow your grace and your mercy to find a place of settlement in our hearts, Lord Jesus, so that you could bring us into your peace, your perfect peace, Lord, that would put our mind at ease. Lord, I pray, God, that right now, by your power, Lord, you would come in, Lord, not to correct our situations, not to change our circumstance, but, Lord, to change us inside of who we are. Lord, that we would find a rest and a hope in you that we could continue to walk in your peace and your grace and your mercy each and every day, hand in hand with other believers. Father, I pray, God, that you would allow this church to be united behind you and be united with each other. Lord, restoring relationships. Lord, restoring health. Lord, restoring our spirits. 
Lord, all so that we can take the new assignment that you have for us. Lord, that position in your kingdom that calls us beyond who we are and effectively ministers, Lord, to who you've called us to reach out and touch and be with and read to and love on and listen to and help and serve. We give you all the praise and we give you all the glory because we know, God, that you've called us to something new and something greater and something bigger than who we are. But Lord, into your kingdom we go confidently and we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor because you deserve it, Jesus. We love you. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Now Christ's legacy family, it's your decision. Will you walk out of here filled with peace and rest? Will you go eat a meal and take a nap? I know I will. God bless you this morning and thank you for worshiping with us.